I'll invite you to turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 7, page 812 in the Blue Bible, 812, Matthew chapter 7. This is another portion of the Sermon on the Mount, the greatest sermon ever preached by the greatest preacher who ever preached, the Lord Jesus Christ. And we began looking at this great sermon back in chapter 5 with the Beatitudes, those attitudes, those characteristics that Christians, that believers should have and display in their lives. And we saw in verses 1 to 6 in Matthew 7, a couple of weeks ago, that Jesus warns us against the sin of self-righteousness, against carelessly criticizing and being unmerciful in our condemning of other people. If that attitude is present as a log in our eyes, then that ought to be removed from us. And he warns us back in that verse 2 that we will be judged in the same measure that you use it, it will be judged, it will be measured to you. So we need to get the log out of our eyes. We can't be self-righteous in the way that we look at other people. We need to look at ourselves and then be able to then look clearly and to be able to see into other people. And what we see here is that we need to be cleansed. We need to be cleansed from these various sins that we see in the Sermon on the Mount. We need help, we need grace. But where do we go to find it? Well, the portion that we're going to read tonight and look into gives us the answer. Verse 7 provides the answer for us. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. And so for context's sake, let's go back to verse 1 and we'll read uh, through from verse 1 down to verse 11. Matthew chapter 7 and verse 1. Judge not that you be not judged. For with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure you use it, it will be measured to you. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye, when there is the log in your own eye? You hypocrite, first take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Do not give dogs what is holy, and do not throw your pearls before pigs, lest they trample them underfoot and turn to attack you. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks it will be opened. Or which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks him for a fish, will give him a serpent. If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? Amen. Thus ends the reading of God's word. Let's pray. Lord, as we come now to the preaching of your word, we pray for insight, for wisdom, that you would give us eyes to see, that we'd be able to see into our own hearts clearly that we would be able to see our Lord Jesus Christ in all of his glory as the answer to all of our problems that we have, all of the sin issues that we have in this life. Oh Lord, we pray that you would help us now. In Jesus' name, amen. Christ went more readily to the cross than we do to the throne of grace. That is a quote from Thomas Watson. Christ went more readily to the cross than we do to the throne of grace. Why don't Christians pray? Why don't we pray more? If you were to ask Christians which spiritual discipline that they fall most 
far short end, it would probably be this one of prayer. A lack of, of real meaningful prayer in our lives. Maybe we have a short prayer before dinner. Maybe we have a short prayer on our way to work or something like that. And that is the extent of our prayer lives. Why don't we pray more? Why do Christians find it so hard to pray? Maybe it's because we don't know how to. The passage that we read earlier in Luke chapter 11, the disciples are there, they come to Jesus and they say, Lord, teach us to pray. Lord, teach us to pray. They had saw Jesus pray before these meals for 10 or 15 seconds. They had saw him pray in the car on the way to a medical appointment, a quick little arrow prayer, and they wanted to learn how to pray. No, that of course is not the answer. They saw Jesus in the very substantial prayer life that he, that he had. They saw him going away and be missing from the group and going out and looking for him and find him praying. He would be missing overnight and they'd be wondering where he was. And then they'd discover the next day that he had spent the entire night in prayer. He had a very, very substantial prayer life. And we need to think about that very clearly for a second here. Jesus prayed. Jesus prayed. If Jesus had to pray, how much more do we as sinful human beings need to express our hearts before the Lord? It really declares our dependence upon God. And when we're prayerless, we're showing that we're not really dependent. We can do this all on our own. We've got such broad shoulders, we can carry the weight of our own worlds all by ourselves, and we don't need the Lord. We're not dependent upon him. And so Jesus was driven to pray before God. And how much more do we need to pray? But I don't know about you. That's very easy to say, I need to pray more. But getting down to the actual praying of it is very, very difficult sometimes. And I find that the only thing that might be consistent about my prayer life is its inconsistency. It's up and it's down and it could be all over the map. I could have a good week and then a bad week. I could have a good day and a bad day. And maybe you have a similar experience in that. Well, we all know that we should pray. And Martin Luther tells us, reminds us, as it is the business of tailors to make clothes and of cobblers to mend shoes, so it is the business of Christians to pray. We ought to pray. We ought to pray without ceasing. And so how does this passage teach us? What does it teach us about prayer and the importance of prayer and and how willing we should be to go to God in prayer because he is so good and gracious to us? And so we see here a couple of main points, two main points. One is to pray with persistence. We see that in verse 7 and 8, to pray with persistence. And then secondly, we see to pray with confidence. We see that in verse 11 to have confidence in that when we are asking God or when we are talking to God, that God hears us and God is going to answer us in our prayers. And so we can pray with persistence, verse 7 and 8, and then secondly, praying with confidence in verse 11. But then sandwiched between that, sandwiched between those two main points are those two absurd and ridiculous illustrations that Jesus gives in verses 9 and verse 10. So let's begin to go through this passage and see what Jesus has to say to us here as we continue on on this great and convicting part of the Sermon on the Mount. Ask and it will be given to you, verse 7. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives and the one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks it will be opened. Now, this verse Right off the top, we have to make clear this verse is not a blank check. 
It's not saying that if you ask God for, for a nice new car, he's going to give it to you, or that new house, or the cottage by the lake, that this is just a blank check and God's just going to answer all of those different things. Nor is Jesus saying here, what you need to do is to be so such a nuisance to God and continually go to him time after time after time, and eventually he's going to get tired and weakened by your continual asking that he's just going to give you what you ask for. That's not it at all. This is saying something very, very different. Now, when we think about the context of the Sermon on the Mount and that portion that we just read in verses 1 through 6, this preceding context, the context there is that we have a tendency to be very judgmental as people. We have a tendency to be fault finders. We have a tendency to look at other people and to see the speck and to view it as a log and to view our own problems as a speck and not the log that it is, as Jesus told us. And so we try to pick at the faults and the sins of others and ignore our own. And we know that that's not godly behavior. We know that that does not honor the Lord. And so Jesus is saying here that for all of those characteristics, all of those character qualities that he's talked about already in the Sermon on the Mount, that he's spoken to us about previously, we are to pray for those things. Those are the things that we ought to be praying about. That Jesus is teaching us how to pray for our spiritual good. It's not a blank check for material things. It's praying for our spiritual good that we are to be seeking. And we notice here an increasing intensity in what Jesus is unfolding for us here in these verbs, ask, seek, and to knock. What do those mean individually? Well, to ask implies asking for a conscious need that we have, something that we know that we are in need of. And then to seek involves asking, but it also involves effort and action. It's action. And then knocking includes asking plus acting and action plus the idea of perseverance, persevering in our prayers. And so we are to keep on pounding on that door. The idea that Jesus is talking about here is toward continuous action. It's a continual action that we are making, this persistence in prayer. The idea here is to keep on asking, to keep on seeking, to keep on knocking, to be persistent. It's a present imperative in the Greek language. There's two imperatives in the Greek language, an aorist imperative and, and this present imperative. An aorist imperative is the idea of stop at the red light. But the present imperative is a continuous action. You ought to stop at every single red light. It's a continuous thing that we are to be doing. So we are to be continuous and persistent in our prayers when we go to God for these things. And when you do, and when you are persistent in them, there's a promise attached to it that we see in verse 8. Those who ask will receive. Those who seek find. And those who knock will find that the door is opened for them. So we are to persevere in prayer. And often we can persevere in prayer when we or someone that we love is ill. It's easy to persist in prayer at that particular time. Or if we're concerned about a medical appointment that's coming up next week, we're going to be persistent in prayer about those things. Then we find it easy to pray. When there's something urgent like that in our lives, we can find it easy to be going continually to God in that. But how about prayers of persistence for spiritual growth, for spiritual things, for the spiritual things that the Lord has been talking about? Do we keep on asking and seeking and knocking for those things? 
Do we keep on asking and seeking and knocking for the purity of mind that we need to honor the Lord? Do we keep on asking and seeking and knocking for having a forgiving spirit that the Sermon on the Mount has told us we should have? For the removal of anger, bitterness, this judgmentalism, this self-righteousness, do we pray for those things? Sometimes we also need to recognize that we could be the very answer to our own prayer requests. Now think about this for a second. We could be the answer to our own prayer requests. We may be a large part of the equation in how God wants to answer our prayers. For example, if I pray, Lord, I want to be pure, you know, going back to blessed are the pure in chapter 5, if, if I say, Lord, I want to be pure, then that demands by the power of the Holy Spirit that I don't put myself in a place of impurity. It demands that I be very careful and watchful about what I look at on the internet. It demands that I be very careful about the things that I think about in my mind and dwell upon and allow to fester there in my mind. So there is a sense in which you could be the answer to your own prayer request in these types of areas, these spiritual areas. Matthew Henry, my favorite Bible commentator, says, God will give power against sin to those that avoid the occasions of it. God will give power against sin to those that avoid the occasions of it. We have to guard our thought life if we want to be pure. We have to be careful about what we view on the internet or television or wherever. We can't say that we want to be pure and then fill our minds with all this kind of garbage. So there is that sense in which we can be the answer to our own prayer request. We are to be persistent in the way that we pray. We are to ask and to keep on asking for those things that will make us more and more like our Lord Jesus Christ, toward Christ-likeness. We are to seek and keep on seeking, to knock and to keep on knocking, to be persistent in attaining spiritual fruit in our own hearts and lives. Now, you might wonder, how do I pray for spiritual fruit in my life? Well, you could look at the Sermon on the Mount. You could go to Galatians chapter 5 and see the fruit of the Spirit and pray for those different fruits. Pray for love, joy, peace, patience, gentleness, kindness, self-control, all of these different things that we see there and many other places in the Scriptures. We could pray for those things specifically, that the Lord would have those things grow more and more in our hearts and in our lives, and we can be persistent in praying for those things and know that the Lord is going to answer that prayer, that we will grow in those things, that as we knock and keep on knocking and keep on asking and keep on seeking, that those things will become more and more a part of our hearts and our lives. So let's come now to these two ridiculous illustrations that the Lord gives us here in verses 9 and 10. Or which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? Could you imagine a a son, a young son, asking his father for a sandwich? And the father gives perhaps the son two pieces of bread and sandwiched between there is a stone. Now, in these regions of Israel, along the Sea of Galilee and and other regions, much like here, there are a lot of stones that are quite flat. We use those for skipping stones in lakes and those kind of things, those larger flat stones. And so they could look like a piece of bread, and and the son could take that and take it and, and seek to eat it and break his teeth on it. Now, that sounds so ridiculous, doesn't it? What type of father would do that? 
A child knows that the nature and temperament of the father or the mother is going to dictate if or how they can go to that parent. And sometimes children learn very, very quickly. I can go to mom for this. I can go to dad for that. And so they can play against one another and play that little game. They learn those things very quickly. If I'm looking for this one thing, well, I'm going to go to mom for that. If I'm looking for that, I'm going to go to dad because he's probably going to let me do that particular thing. It can be that type of thing. And so what we see happening here is Jesus is giving the argument of the lesser to the greater. That's really what he's doing in this passage. And the way that we pray is determined by our view of God. If we view God as very harsh and very stingy and very unmerciful and very ungiving towards us, then that's going to inhibit the way that we're going to go to God in prayer. We might not go to him for particular things because we view God as as not being one who is going to answer our prayers in the way that we want. And that's how the Greeks viewed God. They didn't view God as generous. They viewed God as hurtful and vengeful. Even among many Jewish people 2,000 years ago, God was very, very aloof. He was not a God who was imminent and right here and right now. He was a God who was transcendent. That's why they wear the yarmulke over the top of their heads because they have to have that separation between them and God. And we know, as believers in the Lord Jesus, that he's torn down that wall of separation. It's gone. We can go directly. We have access straight to God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And so God is one who is saying to us, come close to me. I want you to draw near. I want you to come. I want you to ask. I want you to come to me. And maybe some of you grew up in Roman Catholic uh, situation and families and grew up in a situation where you didn't talk to God, you would talk to Mary or some other saint. And then that, that saint or Mary would then catch God on a good day to ask him for the things that you need. And then he would grant you those things, these types of ideas. But that's not what we see with the Lord. We see in the book of Hebrews, therefore let us come boldly before the throne of God that we might receive grace to help in time of need. God wants us to come. God invites us to come. God wants us to ask. He wants to bless. He wants to give. And so verse 9 and 10 illustrate that. And there's a couple of things to note here. Again, my good friend uh, Matthew Henry helps us with a couple of notes here. First of all, he says that God is more wisdom and knowledge than parents have. God is more wisdom and knowledge than parents have. I don't know about you, but for those of you who are parents, I know I can say for myself, I don't always make the right choices in regards to my children. I don't always do the right thing. But we can have full confidence and assurance that God does. That God not only loves us and is gracious to us and benevolent to us, but he knows all things. He has all wisdom. And that's why God doesn't give us everything that we ask for. He doesn't give us everything that we ask for because we can be very, very poor judges of what we think we need. And so God doesn't give us everything that we ask for. And then secondly, Matthew Henry says that God is more kind. God is more kind than our earthly parents. God loves us more than our earthly parents do. God's compassion and love for us far outstrip parents towards children. It's like a candle to the sun or a drop of water in the ocean. That's the comparison that we have here from earthly parents to our children and we love our children dearly. We would do almost anything for them and yet in light of God's love and compassion towards us as his children, there's no comparison. It's like a candle to the sun or a drop in the ocean. God's ways 
are always the best ways and he always has our best in mind. And that's why we can thirdly pray with great confidence. Verse 11, pray with confidence. If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? If you then who are evil. Now he's talking here not speaking about specific fathers who might be especially cruel and evil towards their children. And sadly, there are those fathers in this world. It's a very sad thing. But he's talking here more in a general sense of human fathers having that sin nature, having the sinful nature within them, and having these imperfections within them. If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him. And so the logic follows. If we are sinners by nature and still love our children so much that we provide for the things that they need, how much more will our Heavenly Father provide for us? The argument of the lesser to the greater. And what this shows us is the heart of God in wanting to give his sons and daughters, you and I, good things. God wants to give us good things. That is God's heart towards us. And I love the way Shorter Catechism number 100 uh, tells us this sentiment very well. It says, Our Father in heaven teaches us to draw near to God with all holy reverence and confidence as children to a Father, able and ready to help us. Able and ready to help us. We need to be clear that we're not by our persistency seeking to overcome some unwillingness of God to be able to help us or supply for our need. God is not unwilling to bless his children in these ways. He's more willing to bless than we are to ask so often. God wants to bless us, but he wants us to ask. He wants us to be showing and declaring our dependence upon him in these ways. And also we want to be committed to seeing prayer become a central part of our daily walk with Christ. It's not an add-on. It's not just a quick prayer before a meal or on our way into work. It is to become a vital part of our lives. And I saw this quote several weeks ago, and it says, prayer isn't an add-on. It doesn't just get tacked on to the end of your day or your Bible reading. It is foundational to your day and to your Bible reading. The foundation of prayer. We express ourselves as believers in the Lord Jesus Christ probably in, in no more better way than our prayer lives. And so I have to ask you tonight, how is your prayer life? Is there consistency? Is there time that you spend on your knees before the Lord and your Bible to be able to express your heart to Him, to be able to ask, to be able to seek, to be able to knock? Be able to express yourself to the Lord in these ways, looking for all these these different needs that you have in your life and submitting all of those things to the will of God, submitting all of those things to His gracious benevolence, that God is loving and gracious and merciful. He desires to give the best gifts to His children and He wants us to come. And so one question that we have to wrestle with is, If God loves us so much and since he's promised to hear our prayers and he's promised to give us what we need to be spiritually fruitful, why do we find it so difficult to pray? Why do we find it so hard to go to the Lord in prayer? If prayer is this great means of grace that we think that it is, 
and believe that it is and would acknowledge theologically that it is and all of our brains say, yes, it is, then why don't we do it? I think that one of the main reasons is the sin of unbelief. The sin of unbelief. We just do not believe sometimes, just saying generally, if this doesn't apply to you, then that's great. Just generally, we do not believe the promises of God. Just the bare promises of God. When we look at verse 7 and verse 8 and we see the promise attached to verse 7 in verse 8, we just don't believe it. We don't believe the good promises of the gospel so often. That there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. Just a bare promise that if we've come to the Lord and we have unloaded our sin, that Jesus has taken our sin and imputed his righteousness to us and we can, we can now come boldly into the presence of God and seeking those things that we need. Unbelief. We might not verbalize it that way that we don't believe the promises of God, but we declare that by not being people of prayer, by not being prayerful in the way that we go to the Lord. We don't get an answer quickly and we give up. We don't get the answer we want and we give up. Or we don't get the answer we like and we give up. And so eventually we don't do it. We cave to the unbelief. It's interesting in 1 John 3, verse 22, it says, whatever we ask, we receive from him because we keep his commandments and do what pleases him. We ask and we receive from him because we keep his commandments and do what pleases him. I'm sure you would agree that the sin of unbelief categorically is not pleasing to the Lord. It is not abiding by his commandments. And maybe the first step for us tonight might be to be repenting of that sin of unbelief and not believing those promises that God gives us in the gospel and not believing the promises that God attaches to these, uh, these verses that say that if we pray and if we ask that the Lord will give to us, he will provide for us. And we need to remember that God's delays aren't necessarily denials. Some of us can be waiting for things for a long time. God's delays are not necessarily denials. Be persistent and be patient in how we go to the Lord in prayer. Samuel Rutherford has this great quote, God's omnipotence is at hand to save you when God will, not to humor your impatience as you will. We can often so grow, grow so impatient with God that we can then speed ahead and run along and go our own way without God and leaving him behind. We need to remember that God never slumbers or sleeps. That God is at work on our behalf. That God is benevolent to us and he's gracious to us and he wants to give to us. I read this commentary that said, when we pray, we know that we ought to always to submit our request to his perfect will. Prayer is not a way of getting God to do what I want him to do or persuading him to do anything he doesn't want to do. But prayer is asking for God to do what he has already promised to do. See, it goes back to the promises of God, looking at the promises of God and taking those to the Lord. The Puritans called it suing God, taking God's promises and and taking those promises to the Lord and saying, Lord, this is your truth. This is your word. This is what it says. And taking those promises. And also remember this, that not only does our Father love it when we ask him for what we need, he also loves it when we give him what we can't handle. 
He wants us to come to him with all of those different burdens. And we've all probably heard the little poem before that we are coming to a king, large petitions with thee bring, for his grace and power are such, none can ever ask too much. And maybe you are carrying around the weight of the world upon your shoulders this evening and you know that they are not broad enough, you're not strong enough to do it. And so you can come with those things that you can't handle and give them all to the Lord as you pray to him. So in the Sermon on the Mount, we read of purity. And maybe we see very little of that in our own hearts. We read of meekness and perhaps we are proud and self-righteous. We read of forgiveness and maybe we are resentful and angry and bitter towards other people. And so if you are a believer but fall short in these various graces that the Lord gives for us. You need to pray for those things. You need to keep on praying for those things and be persistent and be confident that as you keep on asking, keep on seeking and keep on knocking that God is going to answer those prayers and God is going to give you that fruit of the Spirit. We can be persistent, we can be confident and keep on doing these things. God will give us anything that we ask for, anything that is for our good spiritually, God is going to give us as we ask. And if we don't have it, then James 4.2 says, you do not have because you do not ask. And we can never ask God for too much spiritually. He's always going to be gracious. He's always going to be benevolent towards us. He says to us in Jeremiah 33 and verse 3, Call to me and I will answer you and show you great and mighty things which you do not know. Let's pray. Oh Lord, we do ask and pray that you would help us to be people of prayer. That we would go to you as the great and benevolent God that you are, how compassionate and loving you are towards your children and how you desire to give us good things and how you also desire for us to ask and to seek and to knock and to keep on doing so. And so we pray that we would be those types of people, that we would honor you in this way by giving you this time. And I know that you will bless us for it and that you will change us and transform us by the renewing of our minds. So help us now, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.